Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. 7,000 troops. See, the Russians said they were pulling troops out. They were pulling troops off uh, that southern Ukrainian border. And now we've got reports that they've added 7,000 troops. One of the things that I heard yesterday from Ned Price, who was a spokesperson for the Pentagon, this was true. Everything that Vladimir Putin says is a lie. Everything that he does is a lie. And you know this is factual because he's a KGB agent. Of course they lie. Lying, deception, subterfuge, those are the basis of uh, their activities. Those things. What's weird is that if, if you were saying you were pulling troops away and then you were sharing video, look, here are troops going away on trains. And people are like, those trains don't even exist in that area. What are you talking about? It was so easy to detect and to see. And then, of course, we have satellite imagery. We can see what's going on. Why even bother lying? You see, first he said it, and you're like, okay, let's see it. And then he said it again. I was like, okay, let's see it. Now we know you're adding troops, and this has been reported in multiple places, the 7,000 troops. Well, what, a, what, what are you doing? What's the... We can see... Don't you know we can see you? It's, it's as if somehow he thinks... It's he's the guy who got caught cheating on the girlfriend, and while he's there next to the woman he's cheating on the girlfriend with, he's saying, "Wasn't me. Wasn't me. You, you. It is you, and we see you, Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Joe Biden was talking about this, and oh, he's got a sense of things. Oh no, not that right there. I don't need that right there." I played the wrong audio, and I'd like to apologize. Now, Joe Biden, he's got a sense of, of, of what's going on, and he thinks this will be happening in the next couple of days. We have reason to believe that they are engaged in a false flag operation to have an excuse to go in. Every indication we have is they're prepared to go into Ukraine, attack Ukraine. I, my sense this will happen in the next several days. I don't know if it's going to happen in the next several days or not. I don't have an answer as to whether or not that's going to be the case. Did I say hello, Tony Katz? Tony Katz today. I forget sometimes. Uh, on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, rumble.com uh, slash uh, Tony Katz. So the UN Security Council met. And Anthony Blinken there, the Secretary of State. I'm unimpressed with Anthony Blinken. Uh, but he supposedly, allegedly, was going to be able to say, "Hey, look, here's some uh, here's some proof of of what's going on and 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 what's happening." And you know, the Russian Federation could say whatever it is they want to say, but here's the reality. Now, as for Biden talking about false flags, this, that, and the other, I can't I can't comment to that. I, I what am I supposed to comment on that? How am I supposed to even begin to explain whether whether it's right or whether it's wrong or whether that's nothing more than than some of the military folk egging on some kind of military uh, incursion? But we've already said we're not going into Ukraine. So what exactly are they egging on? There's a lot of chatter in a lot of different directions. Here's what we need to know: Putin, to his core, wants Ukraine. It is an emotional play based on his feel that the Soviet Union never should have fallen and he takes it personally. He believes in the reunification of Russia like Thanos believes in the finger snap. That's the level of emotional we're dealing with here. So don't expect so much rationality. 
Of course, Putin is to many ways a pragmatist. And if there's a deal to be made that will give him dollars or opportunity, etc., he'll take it and then he'll come for Ukraine later. Much more patient than Americans. The United States has said they will not be engaged in warfare in Ukraine. They will provide Ukraine uh, arms and intelligence. But we will have troops in Poland because you're going to have a refugee crisis the likes of which you have never seen. No, wait, you may have seen it, but it's going to be pretty bad. People are going to flow over that border to Poland like it's their job trying to get out, if they aren't already. That's why we sent approximately 3,000 troops. Is this just Europe's problem? No. Should it be more of Europe's problem? Yes. I don't believe this has to be America's problem 100%. I will argue that if you want to have allies, you're going to have to keep an eye on those allies that could get hurt by this. If Germany gets hurt by this, you know what? They haven't done enough to protect themselves. How am I supposed to even think about them? But Poland? Poland's an ally you want to keep an eye on Russia because they're right there. By the way, it's so great when I hear from people who are like, you know, maybe, maybe we should have, uh, we should have listened more uh, to Romney when it, when it comes to uh, Russia. You remember when he was having the debate with uh, Barack Obama and he was talking about Russia being our biggest geopolitical threat and Obama said oh, the 1950s called they want their foreign policy back? <laughs> Listen to this. Let's jump in. Anna, why don't you start? <laughs> yes, sweetheart, because I think you're choking a little bit. Lindsay, I want to ask you about the potential Russian invasion of Ukraine, which we've been hearing about uh, for weeks, it seems now. We are hearing Putin could attack soon, as soon as tomorrow, maybe. Why is this so significant? What do people here need to know? Because I keep getting asked the question and, getting, and hearing the question, why should we care about what happens in Ukraine? I think this is kind of the opposite theory of Vegas because what happens in Ukraine doesn't necessarily stay in Ukraine. You know, there are tactics that are being tested at this point. Mm. And we had Bill Taylor, former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, on the show last night. And I asked him that question, you know, why should Americans care? And he said, because Ukraine is on the front line mm. and Russia doesn't stop with Ukraine. Yeah. And so I, I, democracy is really at stake here. And so if Russia can do this in Ukraine, where else can they do it? Where are the borders? And there are a number of people who say that, look, um, our country is being tested. Certainly our president is being tested. And then there are others who say this is all just one big ruse, that this is just theater of action, that this is Putin saying, what do I have to do? How far do I have to go in order to get my demands met? It seems to be backing off a little bit. It seems that way. But Ukraine said today we will see it when we we will believe it when we see it. I remember when in 2012 Mitt Romney said Russia was our biggest geopolitical Uh foe and people laughed at him. Said the 1980s are calling. And it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's sounding more and more. Yeah. By the day. That's Anna Navarro. That was the view. Huh, I guess uh, I guess Romney was right. But where were they when Candy Crowley was jumping in and taking Barack Obama's side? And remember, it's all Mitt Romney's fault. Mitt Romney should have been punching back like it was his job. And he didn't. Mitt Romney gave up being president. And that's why I won't listen to him now to talk about somehow how to, how to have run things. You should have been man enough to handle Barack Obama and Candy Crowley then, but you didn't. So I don't want to hear your blah, 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 blah. Yes, Russia is a problem. And yes, Ukraine is the front line. And then there's another front line. And yes, that's why it matters to us. So Anthony Blinken goes to the United Nations uh, to say some words. I want to share that with you. Listen. So here now is Anthony Blinken 
Secretary of State talking this to the United Nations, today, the Security Council. To discuss the Me, I'm Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. A goal that we all share, despite Russia's persistent violations. These agreements, which were negotiated in 2014 and 2015 and signed by Russia, remain the basis for the peace process to resolve the conflict in eastern Ukraine. This Council's primary responsibility, the very reason for its creation, is the preservation of peace and security. As we meet today, the most immediate threat to peace and security is Russia's looming aggression against Ukraine. The stakes go far beyond Ukraine. This is a moment of peril for the lives and safety of millions of people, as well as for the foundation of the United Nations Charter and the rules-based international order that preserves stability worldwide. This crisis directly affects every member of this council and every country in the world. Because the basic principles that sustain peace and security, principles that were enshrined in the wake of two world wars and a cold war, are under threat. The principle that one country cannot change the borders of another by force. The principle that one country cannot dictate another's choices or policies or with whom it will associate. The principle of national sovereignty. This is the exact kind of crisis that the United Nations, and specifically this Security Council, was created to prevent. We must address what Russia is doing right now to Ukraine. Over the past months, without provocation or justification, Russia has amassed more than 150,000 troops around Ukraine's borders in Russia, Belarus, occupied Crimea. Russia says it's drawing down those forces. We do not see that happening on the ground. Our information indicates clearly that these forces, including ground troops, aircraft, ships, are preparing to launch an attack against Ukraine in the coming days. We don't know precisely how things will play out. But here's what the world can expect to see unfold. In fact, it's unfolding right now. Today, as Russia takes steps down the path to war and reissued the threat of military action. First, Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for its attack. This could be a violent event that Russia will blame on Ukraine or an outrageous accusation that Russia will level against the Ukrainian government. We don't know exactly the form it will take. It could be a fabricated so-called terrorist bombing inside Russia. The invented discovery of a mass grave, a staged drone strike against civilians, or a fake, even a real, attack using chemical weapons. Russia may describe this event as ethnic cleansing or a genocide, making a mockery of a concept that we in this chamber do not take lightly, nor do I take lightly, based on my family history. In the past few days, Russian media has already begun to spread some of these false alarms and claims to maximize public outrage, to lay the groundwork for an invented justification for war. Today, that drumbeat is only intensified in Russia's state-controlled media. 
We've heard some of these basic allegations from Russian-backed speakers here today. Second, in response to this manufactured provocation, the highest levels of the Russian government may theatrically convene emergency meetings to address the so-called crisis. The government will issue proclamations declaring that Musher must respond to defend Russian citizens or ethnic Russians in Ukraine. Next, the attack is planned to begin. Russian missiles and bombs will drop across Ukraine. Communications will be jammed. Cyber attacks will shut down key Ukrainian institutions. After that, Russian tanks and soldiers will advance on key targets that have already been identified and mapped out in detailed plans. We believe these targets include Russia's capital, uh, Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, a city of 2.8 million people. And conventional attacks are not all that Russia plans to inflict upon the people of Ukraine. We have information that indicates Russia will target specific groups of Ukrainians. We've been warning the Ukrainian government of all that is coming. And here today, we are laying it out in great detail with the hope that by sharing what we know with the world, we can influence Russia to abandon the path of war and choose a different path while there's still time. Now, I'm mindful that some have called into question our information, recalling previous instances where intelligence ultimately did not bear out. But let me be clear. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. The information I presented here is validated by what we've seen unfolding in plain sight before our eyes for months. And remember that while Russia has repeatedly derided our warnings and alarms as melodrama and nonsense, they have been steadily amassing more than 150,000 troops on Ukraine's borders, as well as the capabilities to conduct a massive military assault. It isn't just us seeing this. Allies and partners see the same thing. And Russia hasn't only been hearing from us. The international chorus has grown louder and louder. If Russia doesn't invade Ukraine, then we will be relieved that Russia changed course and proved our predictions wrong. That would be a far better outcome than the course we're currently on. And we'll gladly accept any criticism that anyone directs at us. As President Biden said, this would be a war of choice. And if Russia makes that choice, we've been clear, along with allies and partners, that our response will be sharp and decisive. President Biden reiterated that forcefully earlier this week. There's another choice Russia can still make if there's any truth to its claim that is committed to diplomacy. Diplomacy is the only responsible way to resolve this crisis. An essential part of this is through implementation of the Minsk agreements, the subject of our session today. There are a series of commitments that Russia and Ukraine made under Minsk, with the OSCE and the Normandy format partners involved as well. If Russia is prepared to sit with the Ukrainian government and work through the process of implementing these commitments, our friends in France and Germany stand ready to convene senior level discussions in the Normandy format to settle these issues. Ukraine is ready for this, 
and we stand fully ready to support the parties. Progress toward resolving the Donbass crisis through the Minsk agreements can reinforce the broader discussions on security issues that we're prepared to engage in with Russia in coordination with our allies and partners. More than three weeks ago, we provided Russia with a paper that detailed concrete reciprocal steps that we can take in the near term to address our respective concerns and advance the collective security interests of Russia, the United States, and our European partners and allies. This morning, we received a response, which we're evaluating. Earlier today, I sent a letter to Russia's Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, proposing that we meet next week in Europe, following on our talks in recent weeks, to discuss the steps that we can take to resolve this crisis without conflict. We're also proposing meetings of the NATO-Russia Council and the OSCE Permanent Council. These meetings can pave the way for a summit of key leaders in the context of de-escalation to reach understandings on our mutual security concerns. As lead diplomats for our nations, we have a responsibility to make every effort for diplomacy to succeed, to leave no diplomatic stone unturned. So that's Anthony Blinken. He's the Secretary of State. And he's there at the United Nations making his case for, hey, turn this around, Russia. We see you amassing more troops on the border. Turn it around. Now, what's going to come on the other side of that is the stick. The stick of, hey, we really are going to protect our friends here. And we're going to do it as forcefully as we can. I assume that's what's going to come. Will we see the Russians attack in a couple days? I don't know. I still argue it's possible. Possible and probable. Will this speech have made a difference? I don't. I don't know. State it clearly. I really and truly don't. State it I can't imagine that it does. I think the decisions have already been made and no one's worried about what Anthony Blinken or the administration thinks because they have absolutely no faith in the administration. They're not worried that the Biden administration is going to fight back. Not in the slightest. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. I know I always get yelled at when I... When I go full blinking. But it had to get shared. Everyone should hear what got said. You should understand what's happening. We should all be on the same playing field. Meanwhile, right here in our beloved Indiana, good decisions and bad decisions got made, and people are angry regardless. Well, let them be angry. Don't let it stop you from knowing what's right and wrong. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Does anybody know how the uh, forum went yesterday? I wasn't able to to hear it. They did a forum, the NAACP, and they did a forum on critical race theory at the McKinney School of Law at IUPUI. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. And they had an interesting group of people. An interesting group uh, uh, of people who were, were involved from, from, a, from a bunch of different walks of life, although the story I have here doesn't, uh, doesn't share how that works. It only shares uh, one professor, a professor by the name of Kevin Brown, and, and his point of view, it, it, it seems. No, no, there we go, there we go. For a second, I thought it was all just a one-sided um, 
thing, uh, according to the article. Critical race theory focuses on how the economic disparities between blacks and whites hasn't changed much since the civil rights laws took effect in the 60s. Family income, unemployment, poverty rates, college graduation rates, life expectancy, home ownership are all impacted. Then they had Mike Gonzalez, who's a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, saying that critical race theory doesn't treat all Americans equally, and he fears the course will be forced upon the military and federal government workforce, saying, quote, what the architects of critical race theory really want is an ideological conformity upon the views of the left. Now, this is, of course, the conversation. And, and Brown said, I don't think my critical race theory class is appropriate for anyone in K-12. through Well, what do you know? It's amazing what happens when people actually speak to each other. Remember that critical race theory is what we use as, as the, um, it's the catch-all that we use, right? It's, it's the all-purpose that we use. But clearly, we have seen, we have witnessed with, with our own eyes and with our own ears, uh, bigotry in the classroom, abuse of students in the classroom. We've seen it in a, in a host of ways where teachers believe they're allowed to bring in their politics anytime they want, and they're allowed to diminish their students for it, attack their students for it, vilify their students for it. How dare you have another point of view? That's something that we should oppose. We have seen the idea of oppressed oppressor relations. That if you are white, you are by, your, by uh, the nature of your birth guilty. And if you are black, you are by nature of your birth oppressed. We should be opposed to these ideas and concepts. You are not oppressed in the United States of America. And if you say to me, well, we got to fight to ensure that's the case, I'm in. Of course I'm in. I don't want to be oppressed. So of course I'm in. But if you want to tell people that by their existence they're guilty because somebody else who may have looked like them 100 years ago did something wrong, that's ugly as hell. It's more than about making people feel bad. So the, this bill, I think it was H- House Bill 1134, which they've now made some amendments to, which was discussing this, right? It's more than that you can't make somebody feel bad. That's how I think I was written. I was like, oh, that's not necessarily the right way to, to say it. You don't want to create a situation where we're saying there are that Americans should be looked at like this for that. We should think less of them. We should dismiss them. We should deny them. They aren't acceptable. They aren't good enough. They haven't risen enough. They haven't for, uh, apologized enough. Apologize to whom and how and all of these things. We have to be focused on the idea that our job is to educate students. And if we're not going to educate students, well, then there's no need for the school. There's no need for the school at all if we're not going to educate students, but rather we're going to indoctrinate them into this belief of pseudo-morality. It is pseudo-morality, may I, may I say, to make the idea of oppressed oppressor. You see, you're guilty for your existence and you owe these other people. No, no, no. My kids don't owe a damn thing. Let's fight. I just, I just, I just want it said. My kids don't know anything. They didn't do anything wrong. Their existence is not a bad thing. And on the other side of it, I can't, I really don't have the ability, I think, to understand what, what, what this is like, except uh, I guess maybe be, I guess maybe being Jewish, certainly there are people who hated you for, for, for being Jewish. And certainly, we know the conversations of whether we're going back uh, to to the Nazis or or we're talking about um, uh, Louis Farrakhan, thinking of of Jews as as less than, 
thinking of Jews as subhuman, uh, thinking of, of of Jews as nothing more uh, than 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 insects, right? It was it was uh, it was Louis Farrakhan who compared Jews to termites. So uh, you know, to the extent that someone thinks that you are a lesser being, I guess I can I can understand that, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a way of, of connecting to the idea, I, I think, you know, in an emotional way, except for, you know, thinking about it as opposed to uh, having lived it, the idea that someone would say to my child, hey, because of the color of your skin, you're never going to get ahead. Have a nice day. Because of the color of your skin, you're never going to get ahead, and that person over there is to blame. You don't even know them, but they look like that, so therefore they're guilty. As a parent, how do you... A kid, your kid comes home from school with that in their head. How do you even begin to combat that? Or are you agreeing with it? Ah. So this is, when we talk critical race theory, what we're, what we're chatting uh, uh, about. And that doesn't mean that every part of legislation that comes through to ensure that we're focused on education, not indoctrination, I'm with. So, for example, if you create um, legislation that says it's harder to teach history, I'm not going to be in favor of, of, of that. I want to teach the good, the great, the bad, and the ugly of, of, of America and, and of world history. So I came across this story that Brown County, the school there gives an opt-out option for teaching kids black history. And I'm like, what in the world? So it's a Spurnica Elementary School? where a letter was sent home giving them the choice to opt their children out of lessons on black history and on equity, caring, and understanding differences. Whoa, 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 these are different things. Hold on a second. These are different things. If you tell me that you want to opt out your kids on lessons on equity, I'm down with that. Equity is bigotry. Equity is bigotry. Equality is what I'm all about. And that's equality uh, uh, of the playing field, not an equality of outcomes. Equality of outcomes is commie nonsense, garbage, trash, and it should be treated as such. And that's what equity is. And that's why I'm not down for it at all and in any way. I'm in favor of people rising to their potential and getting pushed to do so. Given the chance to thrive and grow and do all those things. But if you tell me that you want to opt your kid out of a lesson regarding slavery or Frederick Douglass or, or let's take someone uh, here in, uh, in, in Indiana. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on her name. Oh, my gosh. Uh, first uh, uh, black millionaire. Um, beauty products. Ari, help me out. Producer Ari. Uh, C.J. Walker? So I couldn't remember Madam C.J. Walker. Oh, I couldn't remember everything about her. I couldn't remember Madam C.J. Walker. Why? I don't even understand opting your kid out of that. What I would argue is you're the parent. You can opt your kid out of anything. If you want to opt your kid out of algebra, feel free. I don't think you're right. <laughs> but you can do it. But that's a conversation about history. 
So Brown County Schools put out a statement that Wish TV got that a message recently went out to the families of one of our elementary schools related to lessons on equity, caring, and understanding differences taught during the month of February. The message identified an option to, to opt out a student. We're gathering more information on the matter. In the meantime, we know that we support teaching about the facts in our history, including historical injustices. Our district is and will continue to be committed to having compassion for all and supporting an education community that will allow students, staff, families, and community members the opportunity to feel welcome. I'm not interested in, in, in this whole feeling welcome uh, gobbledygook. Nor do I, I like the idea that we call it historical injustices. You, you're talking about history. You're talking about teaching history. You're talking about teaching what happened. I, I, I think that's extremely important. I don't know why anybody would want to opt out of that, but someone might. But there's a difference between that and these, these lessons on equity, caring, and understanding. You mean they're only taught in the month of February? They're only taught in Black History Month? Okay, look, just so we're clear, if you're going to say to me this isn't an end around to wokeism, critical race theory, and, and those kinds of things, uh, you, we're going to have a hard time being friends. We're going to have a hard time with this, because of course it is. These are two different things. Gosh. But once again, the leftover plays their hand. These are people who believe that diversity, equity, inclusion has value. No, it doesn't. All DEI uh, uh, positions should be eliminated from schools all across the country. But I'll focus on Indiana. They don't believe in diversity. They don't believe in diversity of thought. They don't believe in inclusion. They actually engage in many places. I would argue that this is probably more on a college level than I've seen on a high school level. Safe spaces. That's not inclusionary. It, it's it's we're seeing more pushes towards segregation than I ever thought I would in my lifetime. It's crazy. And equity, as we know, is bigotry. We have seen school districts around the country say we're reducing honors classes because some kids are really good at math and it makes the other kids feel bad and it's not okay. That's not equity. That's hate. That's hate. That is hate. And if you want to tell me that DEI officers are necessary, can you show me nationwide what is the percentage of black DEI officers and white DEI officers? And at that moment, I will say to you, huh, is it in any way comparable to NFL head coaches? Just asking, curious man. We have spectacular teachers. We do. And there is a really fascinating study. Uh, the people at Ed Choice turned me on to this. Um, kids who get a black teacher actually do better. It's not that the, the teaching in and of itself, as, as I read it, um, was, was superior. It's that the idea of being exposed to someone who either A, is, looks different than you, or B, is in a position you don't maybe expect them to be in, which is... Awful, but okay that those kids end up doing better. And you, you want to argue that that's big and feel free. It's freaking data. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. You show me data, I'll look at it. I'll be like, son of a gun. That's something. Now, you could argue that I read it wrong, um, but I don't think I, I, I read it wrong. I think I read it absolutely proper. It's, it's fascinating. 
And so you 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 look at this and you're like, well, okay, there's a value here. That doesn't mean that white teachers are bad teachers or Asian teachers or Hispanic teachers or anything else. It's not what it means. And it doesn't mean, well, then you got to hire a certain amount. You got to quote it. That's not what it means either. It means hire great teachers. But there's, it's, it's okay to notice a, a fact. The teaching of equity is not about anything that uh, brings us value. Equity is not the thing. Equity is the opposite of the thing. Equity is utilized not they may say that equity is about fairness and justice but what is fair or just about limiting other kids so some other kids don't feel bad nothing zero what is equitable about saying we do away with the meritocracy and we just move dollars around because it's nicer Nothing. Zero. And it's not the way you run a society. As a matter of fact, it's extremely insulting, incredibly pandering, and I wouldn't want any part of it. So yes, I wouldn't be interested in those lessons either, although I will tell you I'd have to see the lessons. I'd have to see what uh, they're, they're, they're doing. Uh, and also, we, sh- we should be clear, uh, I-, I think there's this, this, this misnomer that somehow teachers are... are are really, really prepared to teach about caring and understanding differences. I'm not so sure that's true. I think that there are specific teachers who could. I don't know if that's true of all teachers. I don't know if all parents see that way of all teachers. So is this what teachers should be teaching? I mean, it's a worthy question. Except for those people who hate you for that question and believe you should be silenced and therefore will call me a racist and a bigot. Oh, they're going to do that anyway. What does it matter? This wasn't even the story I was going to get to. I'll get to that next. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So the story I wanted to get to. I mean, we're going to keep an eye on that whole Brown County story and opting out of classes. The story I wanted to get to is that the the Senate Education Committee voted 8-3 to advance House Bill 1041, and that's the one that says that boys can't decide their girls and participate in girls' sports. Oh, the Indiana Democratic Party and the ACLU, they're all so angry. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. They actually believe that... A child makes a decision and other children have to suffer because of it. Yes, those other girls who won't be able to compete against girls, they're competing against boys, will indeed suffer for it. And they're all saying uh, that, you know what, kids can make this decision about their gender. That's just, as I see it, child abuse. That's abusive. Children can't make this decision. Stop turning children into adults. Don't allow schools to allow children to make this decision, therefore separating them from the parent. That is wrong. That there isn't a Democrat that agrees that it's wrong to abuse children the way you're abusing these young female athletes? That's amazing to me. Stunning and shocking and saddening and gross. So I'm glad this got out of committee. That it was along party lines is really gross. It should absolutely get voted on. And then it should go to Governor Holcomb's desk where he should sign it the second it shows up. Just sign it. 
because, well, there's first the, the idea of the fair play. And I think you should stand up for these young women athletes. But there's something I'm going to say, sorry, uh, bigger and, 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 and far more ugly here, which is the desire to cleave parents from their children. Kids can make their own decisions. No, they can't. That's why they're kids. That's why they're kids. And if we're going to uh, see uh, state senators and others say that th- there's a value in this, well, that's just a sin. There's no value in telling kids uh, parents are unnecessary. You can make your own decision. No society grows this way. And I don't think parents should give up so easily. I think parents should fight like hell. And you want to see this legislation passed. You want to make the statement. Notice I didn't say uh, be angry or be mean to these kids who they've got this confusion, they've got this questioning, they've got this theory in their head. They need help and they need love and they should get both. But they shouldn't be allowed to abuse other students and parents should work to protect them and not allow schools to abuse them. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.